0: But if you have a copy of God's word, would you meet me in Matthew 28? Is the last chapter of Matthew. Um, and if you're able to, would you stand in the reading of God's word? Matthew 28 will be in verse 16 through the end. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ may be seen today in our acts of love and in this deed of faith. Speak, O Lord as we hear your word and fill us with their glory. We ask all these things for the king's glory and the advancement of the king's kingdom, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Traditionally, my Cuban family has a feast on Christmas Eve, and we call it Noche Buena, which means the good night in English. And what happens is all our Cuban family from all Florida or whatever part of the country, they will fly in and flood into Pasora, my great aunt's house, and we will roast a pig and we'll have arroz con pollo, we'll have all these different foods and you will see the men in the garage playing dominoes and of course smoking cigars, because you know, we're Cuban. And we just have a time of laughter and joy just to be with family on this one good night. My Cuban family has been doing this now for over 40 years, and if I'm correct, 50 years is just around the corner for them. And it's one of my favorite things that my sister and I got to do during Christmas season. We will drive up with my dad and we'll spend Noche Buena with my Cuban family. But one year, my sister decided to stay home. She didn't wanna go with my dad and I to Noche Buena, so I got to have a lot more one-on-one time with my dad. And the rule my mom had was if we ever went to Noche bueno, we had to be home Christmas morning. So what my dad always do, we'll drive up for a couple of days, Christmas Eve, spend as much time as we can, and then drive home late. So one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, we're back at home in bed, trying to see what those gifts are under the tree. But one year with my dad and I, my dad decided to um, get, a, get six CDs of Elvis Presley and his greatest hits. For those who don't know who CDs are, they're called compact discs. There was a big technological advancement back in the day, but my dad loaded all six CDs into his truck and him and I drove down. We left around 10 o'clock at night and we just sang songs of Elvis Presley. He would tell me the good and the bad about Elvis Presley. But as a 10 year old kid, I really did not know who Elvis Presley was, but I saw that my dad loved singing his songs to the point that I became a fan of Elvis Presley because the relationship I had with my dad and the way he was talking about it and singing songs and the joy that it brought a three and a half hour car ride to me and my dad. Little did I know that my dad was actually discipling me into becoming a fan, not only of all the sports teams in Miami, but also of Elvis Presley discipleship, discipling is what our main topic of today would be for us. As we see discipling in our own lives, from the relationships we have with our family members, even from work or even within the Bible, today we're going to take some time to talk about discipleship. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about Emmanuel, God with us. We talked about the prophecy that happened in Isaiah 7, and we talked about the fulfillment that happened in Matthew one twenty-three, where Joseph was told that his wife, Mary, was having a baby, and to name Jesus, and also Emmanuel. Again, Jesus was his title, meaning Yahweh will save, and Emmanuel was his nature, God being with us. And if you study the Gospel of Matthew, woven through the entirety of the Gospel, you'll see a theme of God being with his people. And today, we're going to talk about Emmanuel's Great Commission. Most of us know the text that we read this morning, but today, I want us to view it in a light of last week and connect it in regards to Emmanuel being with us as we make disciples. Our text is not about the how to do or the one-on-one discipleship tools and everything. Instead, I want to talk about four key declarations that Matthew writes that all disciples of Christ need to know. He declares first Emmanuel's claim in verses 16 through 18. And then Emmanuel's commission in verse 19. And Emmanuel's commandments in verse 20a. And then Emmanuel's comfort. Those are the four key decorations we see in that that text. But today's main point will build off what last week was. God is with us as we go and make disciples. I'm not trying to create this new thing. I'm trying to keep it simple. The main thing, the main thing. God is with us as we go and make disciples. But let's jump in the text, right? First, let's talk about Emmanuel's claim. Verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Let's talk about the context of what's going on. First is post-resurrection, right? Jesus made a claim that he was the Son of God, and he will be betrayed because of who he was. And then he would have been nailed to the cross, and three days later he'd be risen from the dead, dead or raised from the dead. And what we see at the end of Matthew's Gospel is a glimpse into the life of the disciples post the resurrection, Now, remember, the rabbi, that who Jesus was, had authority over all his disciples. This Jewish man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, in one incarnate, Emmanuel, was a rabbi to disciples. And again, the rabbi had authority to tell the disciples what to do. And at verse 10 of this chapter, the rabbi, Jesus, told his 11 disciples to go to a mountain by Galilee. Now, fun fact, family, mountains is a big theme also within the book of Matthew. I did not know about this, but if you really study the Gospel of Matthew, you will see some of Jesus' greatest decorations are on mountains. If you know his teachings, starting in Matthew 5 over a couple of chapters, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Ten points for guys who said it. It's it's his greatest knowledge, his, his greatest teaching. And it's interesting that it happens on a mountain. But Matthew highlights that for that because he wants us to know more about this Christ. Not only do we see his greatest teaching, his greatest knowledge given on a mountain, but where Christ truly reveals his full glory on earth was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 12. So mountains in Matthew's eyes have an important detail. So not only do we have Jesus' greatest teaching and then Jesus' greatest declaration of his glory, but we also have Jesus' great commission given to us on a mountain. Those little Easter eggs that we see in, in scripture have a lot of value that sometimes we just gloss over. But when you take time to study and see the connections and the purposes that the gospel writers write about, you see the treasures within God's word. But notice something that happens in verse 16, that connects to verse 17. Jesus the rabbi says go to Galilee, to this mountain, as he directed them, and the disciples went. They went to go, or they went to where Jesus, their rabbi told them to do, or told them to go. Now, as a disciple, fun fact, one of the greatest things you can do as a disciple to a rabbi in the Jewish times or even today Is to be available. Your availability is your greatest ability to your disciple or to your discipler. So by them going to the actual mountain that Jesus told them to do, they're posturing themselves to receive the greatest teaching or the greatest blessing or the next thing from their rabbi. Remember, the rabbi just was killed three days beforehand. They could have panicked and went elsewhere. Because remember, this is the God they witnessed get flogged, get mocked, get whipped, get crucified. And he said, I'm still going to be risen in three days, but go to the mountain. So they submitted and they decided to be disciples by giving the best ability by being available to receive what their disciple was teaching them. So let's, let's jump to the next t- verse, right? Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, worship should be the, the easiest thing for us when we see Christ, right? If you saw the risen Christ today or even back in the time, what should your response be? I hope you see it, it is worship. If you actually study the chapter 28, you see the first two people that Jesus shows up and sees post-resurrection are the two Marys, and the two Marys look at Jesus and they freak out, they cry and everything, but they fall on the ground and they worship their God. One of them was terrified, as history would tell, because the mocking and what they saw, the scrutiny of the Jesus on the cross, but when they went to visit the tomb three days later and met Jesus, they fell in worship. And the same thing happens to disciples when they're on that mountain. They see their savior. They see their rabbi. They see their Lord. And what is the proper response? They worship. Family, when you are in the proper posture, proper place, proper avenue to see God and your life to show up, the proper response for us is worship. If you don't believe that, ask an old saint in this room. Ask an old saint in your life where God showed up in the midnight hour when we have properly humbled ourselves to say, Lord, only you can provide X, Y, and Z. Only you can do A, B, and C. And God shows up, the proper response has always been to worship. Old saints, are you teaching that to us, younger folk? Younger folk, are you going to spend time with old saints to learn how God has blessed them, how God has showed up in their lives? Family, that's simple discipleship. Relationships, one-on-one time. But notice what Matthew writes in verse 17. Another Easter egg he writes in. He says, but some doubted. Some doubted in the original language means some hesitated. There was some hesitation from the disciples when they saw Jesus showed up. I mean... I wouldn't be against what that, that happened. I, I wouldn't be angry at the disciples for being hesitant or, or doubt a little bit that Jesus was there because of what the, the gruesome scene they just witnessed and the mockery that Jesus went through on the cross. I can understand and relate that they might have doubted that the man that showed up was the man who just was crucified. It wasn't an intellectual doubt. It was an emotional hesitation. Can this be the man we have been walking with for three and a half years? Can this be the man who called me out of just everyday life to say, come and follow me? Can this be the man who equipped me and gave me authority to cast out demons to heal? Can this be the man who fed 5,000, 4,000 people with food of bread and fish? Could this be the man? And they hesitated. They hesitated. They doubted. And for me personally, I'm extremely grateful the Holy Spirit led Matthew to write this little Easter egg that some doubted because that brings me comfort when I doubt. I hope that brings comfort to you when you're going through the difficulties of life when the holidays were not as simple as it could be, and you had bickering with family members, and you have old things brought up of just past, like there's some hard times. You can doubt God's goodness in that moment, but also find comfort that also the disciples who spent life with him doubted. For me, when I, when I struggle with my sisters, when I struggle with my dad, when I struggle with, Lord, will you save X, Y, and Z? despite their sin. I can doubt sometimes my God's word. I'll be be transparent. But I find comfort that Jesus does something that is remarkable, even as his disciples doubted. It's in the next verse, verse 18. Let's read. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that right there. There There's doubting saints. There's doubting disciples. And what did Jesus do? He showed up. He stepped forward. He came to those who were doubting. He didn't reject the men who were walking with him. He didn't push them away. He said, you've seen all my glory. You've seen the miracles. What's up, guys? You can't remember? You can't figure this out? No. He drew near. This is our God family. When you're wrestling with your sins, when you're wrestling with your doubts, what does God do when you see him? He comes close to you. Your availability is key to all this. Can you come to the cross, allow the cross show Christ's glory in your life? Again, verse 18, to the doubting disciples, Jesus came. But he also said something, he declared something. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. This is Emmanuel's claim. This is the most important thing of the entirety of the gospel of Matthew. Some theologians and scholars said, if you miss verse 18, you miss the entirety of the gospel in Matthew. You miss the entirety of the point of Emmanuel coming to earth. In this declaration, we see that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And what Christ is doing is actually echoing the Old Testament, Read with me, saints, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel writes, I saw in the night's vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him and his dominion, his everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As we talked about last week, how there is so much fulfillment in Jesus Christ of the Old Testament, here is another testimony at the end of Jesus' life that he continues to fulfill all the prophecies about him. And when Daniel was writing about the Son of Man and the Ancient One of Days, Christ says, I am he. I am the one with all authority. There is none like me on this earth. Paul echoes this in Philippians chapters two, verses nine through eleven. Read with me, we on your screen. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him Jesus the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ. Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Jesus' claim. He's like, Family, I am it. I am the one with all authority. The Old Testament prophesies about me, I fulfill. And all heaven and everything in heaven, everything on earth, all reports to me. I have the commandments for Him. I am the one with authority over all. And Matthew actually echoes this in his gospel. He doesn't just say this at a one point, one singular moment. Throughout the entirety of the gospel, we see Jesus Christ's authority over many different things. You first see, Emmanuel has authority over nature, chapter 8, when he rebukes the wind and seas. Emmanuel has authority over diseases, where he healed the blind, the lame, the leopards. Emmanuel has authority over demons, in chapter 8, when he heals two demon-possessed men. Manuel has authority over our own lives in chapter 16 when he tells us what it takes, what it means to die to self, to take up your cross. We all see Emmanuel has authority over every life, tongue, and nation in chapter 25 when we see Jesus have authority when he says you are a sheep and you are a goat. You are mine, you are not. You have been elected heaven. You have been elected to hell. Jesus has authority over all. It's not a one singular moment. It's woven through all of scripture. And this is his claim that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. This is where the foundation of this whole great commission stands on. It's first on the foundation of the claim of Jesus Christ being Lord as Jesus lays this great claim for us, we now can transition to the great commission that he gives those who call him Lord and Savior. Verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you are a disciple of Christ and place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you have been commissioned to go. The word go and therefore is pointing back to what I just claimed, what I am as all authoritative figure in your life, go then. Despite of everything you think about yourself, as I'm the one who has the authority to tell you to go, go then. Because I am your Lord. I am your Savior. I am your Rabbi. Family, if you truly believe in Jesus Christ being Lord and your Savior, again, you have been commissioned. You have an opportunity daily to go and make disciples this is this is so important to us at a reconciliation it is one of our values the gospel and disciple making have been woven together but disciple making is a crucial value of this church that every avenue of what we do as a church is woven through discipleship making this is what we do on, on thursdays with men's bible study is discipleship making this is what we do with thursday nights and discipleship groups it's about disciple making When we do the cocoa and crafting for the women's events, it's about disciple-making over cocoa and over arts and crafts. I didn't know that was a thing, but praise God, because that's an avenue of disciple-making, even over Elvis Presley. Family, we have opportunities to constantly be disciple-makers because our rabbi, our Lord, our Savior with all authority has commissioned us to go. Again, Matthew has pointed this out through all of his gospel. This is not a one-time thing. Matthew 4, Christ calls disciples first to say, follow me and I will make you fisher of men. Think about that. From the jump, before he does his great sermon on the mouth, he's calling people to learn from him in order for them to go make disciples, make fishers of men. Now, He does say, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. The root word in the Greek for nations is the word ethne, where we get our traditional word ethnic into ethnic groups. So when Jesus says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, he's saying, go, therefore, make disciples of all ethnic groups. Family, this should be important to you. Why? Fun fact, it's because it matters to Jesus. Let's keep it simple. Jesus could have said, go make therefore disciples of all Americans, but he doesn't say that. What he says, and I mean Cubans, I mean fill the blank. He says, go therefore make disciples of all ethnic groups. So family, when we are making decisions to make disciples, are we making disciples of people who have different ethnicities than us? Or are we just trying to copy and paste ourselves? Because here's the thing, family. It's woven in scriptures that the end game That Jesus wants, ultimately, is all ethnicities worshiping him. Don't believe me? Great. Let's go to God's word for authority. Look with me in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It'll be on your screen, I'll read for you. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Picture that, family. All nations, all tongues, all people, all ethnicities are worshiping our Savior, worshiping our God, worshiping the one with all the authority in heaven and earth. So we get to be commissioned to go make disciples of all ethnicities. Because fun fact, family, when the Lord calls you home, you're going to be home with brothers and sisters who don't look like you. And praise God for that. You're going to be in heaven with some NC State fans, with some Carolina fans, Duke fans, some Ravens, some Cowboys, fill the blank, whatever your team is. You're going to be in heaven with people who don't vote like you, who don't think like you, who don't speak like you. You'll go in heaven and see a six foot two Cuban next to a normal five foot Cuban. You're going to see a different, a plethora, a multitude of people. One of our hearts is these empty chairs in this church and this cafeteria auditorium thing is filled with different ethnicities. Why? because the end game has already been fixed. The reality is that heaven will be filled with all ethnicities, tongues, and nations, so why not experience it now? Why prolong the beautiful image that we see in heaven? let Let me be gracious to you guys. Don't be prideful and wait. Don't be prideful and say, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't be prideful and say, let someone else do it, or I'm too afraid. Be bold in the gospel. Be bold, as Paul says in Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for the Jew and to the Greek family. Heaven has already have heaven has a view an image of all ethnicity is going to be there. And family, you and I are commissioned to make disciples of all ethnic groups. One funny thing about this text right here is that These 11 Jewish men are hearing their rabbi saying, go make disciples of all nations. To a Jewish person hearing that from the rabbi, their world is getting flipped upside down. Because in Jewish customs, uh, a rabbi wants to see other ethnic groups, other Gentiles, saved and worship Yahweh. But the difference is, is that they can come and listen to the teaching of that rabbi. But they could not make disciples. It was only related for allowed to I apologize to a jewish rabbi and what jesus is saying here is says you know the tradition where only gentiles can come and just listen to the teaching we're going to flip the script and in my kingdom we're going to uh, equip those gentiles to go make disciples we're not going to let reserve for only one people group so a jewish man hearing the rabbi say go make therefore disciples of all nations they're even being challenged with their own struggles with other ethnicities and Gentiles. And that's the beauty of our God. He thinks about these things. He commands these things. He commissions these things. And praise the Lord for that, family. Because you and I are evidence of 11 faithful men that go beyond their cultural norms. And the disciples and the women who are all learning from Jesus Christ, they, are, they went beyond their cultural norms. You and I are fruit of that labor. I praise God for that. Also, Jesus says, go there and make disciples of all nations, but also to baptize them. Now, baptism is a declaration of allegiance. I know some people, the topic of baptism can be a little bit different, which is fine. i am making it as simple as I can for this moment right here. If you have any problems of how I'm defining that, you can email me at Russell at reconciliation.com, but here we have the idea that there's declarations of allegiance happening, that this undiscipled person, this Gentile who was once formerly dead is now made alive in Christ, and we're now taking a step further to disciple them to learn and teach, learn from the teacher of the rabbi, ultimately Jesus Christ. So to make it a little more plain, John Brodus says this, which I think is actually really helpful, to disciple a person to Christ is to bring him into relationship or relation of pupil to teacher taking his yoke of authoritative instruction and accepting what he says as true because he says it and submitting to his requirements as right because he makes them family this is discipleship for even for us today we have the full revelation, the full, God of, uh, the full revelation of Christ, the full authority of God's word, the full counsel of God in Scripture, and we're called to look into it, to study it, to submit and obey it. We are disciples as we're making disciples at the same time. And again, this commission is based on a claim that Jesus has all the authority in the world, He also gives us a commandment for those who are his disciples, along with his commission. Look at Emmanuel's commandment in verses 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Have you ever considered why this scripture, why that verse right there is included in the great commission? You ever thought about break, break scripture apart and ask why that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write this out. I'm going to keep it simple. The reason why Matthew includes teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you is because it matters to Jesus that you and I equip all new disciples with the yoke of Christ. Family, you have been entrusted not only with the gospel, not only with the commission, not only with the hope of salvation to the world to go and share it and tell people about it, but you and I also have been entrusted to take those souls who were on the way to hell, who have now been redeemed, made alive in Christ, and to teach them all that Jesus has commanded. Do you know that God's kindness to you was to give you the ability to read, to comprehend? to study, to remember, for the purposes to teach someone else. Not only God's word, but also the testimony of your own life. Long ago at a church when I was in college, there was this bigger man than me called BG. And BG once said to me, and this became a tattoo of my soul, the Lord allows you to go through certain things, not for your own sake, but for his glory and for the sake of others. The Lord allows you to go through certain things, not for your own sake, but for his glory and for the sake of others. I learned that very real, very quickly. The young man I talked about last week, that I teared up a little bit about him having a baby. The reason why I was able to lead that young man to Christ was A, my availability to be used by God, but B, him and I had daddy issues. D, daddy issues. And personally, I don't think I could have connected with him unless I had some daddy wounds. So I learned a long time ago that God allowed me to go through certain things, even though hard and difficult, yet he was a manual standing right beside me as I walked through those things for the sake that one day I can connect a young little boy named Matthew and tell him about Jesus Christ through a leaf. Whole story for a different day. But he became a Christian at that time. And God blossomed him. To the point his mom got saved, to the point that his sister is still wrestling a lot with salvation, but she's being poured into by this young man, now has a baby that he gets to love and nourish. Family, the Lord has entrusted you not only with this message, not only with his word to teach and equip people, but also your testimony family. and that's why I'd rather be as this band once said. In an open sinner than a false saint, in the sense of, I'd rather let you guys in my life to know you what I'm, how jacked up I am, and how the Lord is healing me and growing me for the sake of you to see Christ alive in me. It's not my own horn; I got nothing to boast about, but it's Christ and Christ alone. So here's the thing: I want you, I want you guys to see very clearly. The supreme way in which God chose to glorify himself was through the redemption of sinful men and its participation of the redemption plan that believers themselves most glorify God. It is not fallen rebellious angels, but damned hell-bound sinners in which God delights to offer redemption family, who is not a better person to preach the gospel, to teach the gospels to the unbelievers than you and I, through the testimony of Christ and the gospel message in our lives. Again, the Holy Spirit does all the work. Don't get it twisted. It's God's authority that we stand on. But we being available, like the disciples who showed up on the mountain to hear the claim of Emmanuel, we're the ones that we are equipped with the gospel to go and teach to go and share through the testimonies of our own lives, through the authority of God's word. Family, you've been trusted with Emmanuel's commission. And we know this to be true, that the redemption is given to mankind when the joy of God's angels have when one sinner repents, we see in Luke 15. And God wants no man to perish, but for all to come to repentance, 2 Peter 3. He desires for all mankind to be saved, 1 Timothy 2. You have a view based on God's word to see hope for this world, a desire of our Father to be commissioned to go and teach God's word. But how do we do that? I'll keep it simple for you. First, we need to know the word, we need to spend time in understanding this word. Two, we got to share the word. I know some disciples I walked with, I'm like I get intimidated by the way, speaking to Russell, because Russell can walk circles around me with scripture. But he keeps it simple. He keeps it the main thing, the main thing. We don't need to make this big words. We just need to share the word as God has entrusted us with. We also need to show the word. What I mean, show the word is mean, the word that's deep planted in you has bear fruits in you, so others can see the word living within you. You picking up what I'm putting down? We're showing the word by showing our lives as examples of the gospel working within us. And also, we've got to teach the word. Second Timothy two two talks about entrusting God, the gospel, entrusting the word to faithful men and also women who are able to teach the word. Are you learning the word enough to teach it to others also? But also, lastly, we're supposed to take the word to the world. Again, it is woven through the Great Commission to take the gospel, to teach it to others. Because here's the thing, family. I don't know if you ever thought about this. You ever thought about why the church has been left behind? I'm not talking about the book series. Don't go there. Don't go there, please, please. I got no time for that. You ever thought about why the church was left behind at this commission? Could it be just for fellowship? Could it be just for hanging out, spending time with each other and everything? I don't think so because I think the greatest fellowship you and I can have will be in heaven with our Lord. Well, could it be about learning and studying God's word? What I will counter that with you know, the best person to learn about the Bible is the guy who wrote the Bible, so probably in heaven will probably be the best place. Could it be about praising God and worshiping and singing and shouting? Well, Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 said the greatest place for that is going to be in heaven. So, why then was the, was the church left behind in this world? I would argue that Emmanuel's primary purpose for the church to stay behind was to make disciples. The primary purpose for your life, for Reconciliation's life, for the church as a whole, is to make disciples. My question for you, family, and I mean this in kindness, are you living outside of this purpose? Are you just enjoying being on a cruise ship and just cruising to heaven when there's lost people damned to hell? Are you on a battleship fighting apart this spiritual warfare and going and sharing the gospel, going and teaching others? because there's people still damned to occupy hell. Family, eternity is on the line, whether we think about it, consider it or not. But as we hear the claim of Christ, as we hear Emmanuel's commission and commandment, as he declares all authorities in heaven and on earth is is mine, go therefore, make disciples, He comforts us at the end. Emmanuel's comfort is given for those who are called to go, all his disciples. Look with me again, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a very full circle moment, family, in in the Gospel of Matthew. You remember the first thing that was declared about Christ when he came to earth from an angel? The angel told Joseph, his adopted father, Behold, a woman shall give, a, give birth to a son, and you shall name Emmanuel God with us. And what Matthew says at the beginning about Christ, the beginning about Jesus, the God who saves, is going to be the same thing about him at the end of the day. That As he was God who was with us in the beginning, he will be God with us at the end, full circle. Family, find comfort that Emmanuel will constantly be with us. That is a full circle moment that as the prophecies were made about Jesus will come true. He says himself, I will be with you. I will continue to be Emmanuel. Even though I go to heaven and I'm preparing a place for you and I'm interceding on behalf of the Father for you, I'm still with you. Full circle is what Matthew shows us. Because here's the thing about the Great Commission. Emmanuel's great commission will succeed because his claim guarantees it. Think about that. He says, all authority on heaven and earth is mine. Go therefore make disciples. I'm telling you to do this. But I'm also telling you it's going to happen. It's going to succeed. Because I already showed you in Revelation that all the throne room is with all tongues and all tribes and all nations. I'm guaranteeing that disciple making is going to work. I'm guaranteeing that the commission I give you is going to happen. I'm guaranteeing you that the commandment I give you to teach all that I commanded you will come true because of his claim. And we should find comfort in that. For those who have family members who are wayward, quote-unquote, Christians, because of how they struggle in life, and you're like, Lord, I, I poured my life through Bible study. I did discipleship. I've done devotionals for my family, I pray like Lord, what was... Behold, I am with you to end the age. As I pray for my Mormon friends at work, or I pray for the lost young ladies I work with that advance Auto parts, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. When I think of my dad, my dad is a universalist, in a sense but that means that all roads will lead to heaven. I remember having a conversation one time with my dad, I was like, hey, all roads contradict themselves. He's like, nah, nah, the Buddhists will get to heaven. Nah, nah, the atheists will get to heaven. I'm like, nah, dad. They they contradict, they bump heads. My dad's like, son, you don't know what you're talking about. Go away. As I cry over my father, as I mourn the relationship I want to have with him, I want him to know Jesus. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you his great commission will succeed because his claim guarantees it. And not only does he does Matthew show us a full circle moment in the gospel of Matthew, the manual being with us at the beginning and the end. The great commission is also a full circle moment of Genesis chapter 12 and the promise made to Abraham. When God says to Abraham, I will bless you and the nations will be blessed by you. We see this fulfilled ultimately in Christ circle, and we'll see it fully come to fruition in Revelation. Family, the Gospel of Matthew reminds us that we worship Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Emmanuel has a claim that only he can make, and it will echo through our eternity. He and he alone has all authority in heaven and earth and in our lives. And with this claim, he has given us commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And Attach's commission is the commandment to teach them all new disciples all that Christ has communicated in his word. And he gives us a promise, a promise of comfort that as we go and make disciples, he will be with us always. This is the ending of the Gospel of Matthew. Think about it. He could have placed this in other places, but Matthew chose to place this at the end for you and I to stand tall, to stand firm on the claim of Christ to go and make disciples, but find comfort that he who began a good work will complete it. Family, would you trust him? Would you obey to his authority? Would you go and make disciples? Would you teach them by knowing God's word And rest that God has already been doing the work. And God will finish the work through your availability and through His timing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has made the claim that we need ultimately on this earth, that all in heaven and on earth has been given to me, all the authority. So I'm equipping and commissioning and trusting us disciples to go and make disciples. Lord, as we begin this new year, let us see the vision that you have for heaven. That all tongues and all nations and all people and all ethnicities are worshiping God. And I pray, Lord, that we can bump into someone in heaven that we have shared the gospel with, and they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and Emmanuel was in walking with them. Let, let, the, let our tears find the person we've been praying for in heaven. Allow us, Lord, to have a bold voice, to continue to praise you, to preach God's word, and to continue to make disciples. I ask all these things for the king's glory and and the advance of the king's kingdom, I pray. Amen.